0: Our reading today is from Matthew ten sixteen to 25. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local council's. And be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beazabel, how much more the members of his household. You're right.
1: Just a reminder, Good. make sure your phone's on silent. I think mine is, because I can hear... Here's here's the secret of this room. I can hear everything you say. (laughs) Just the acoustics is here. Now then, do you know what you're signing up for? Uh, Just to illustrate, pretty soon it's going to be the transfer window in the um, English Premier League and around soccer clubs. Uh, Clubs will be signing players, and those players will be signing contracts to join clubs. But do they know what they're signing up for? There's a story Harry Redknapp tells. He was a football manager, managed several top teams. He says, I signed a player once, top player, fantastic player. We'd done the deal, but then he wanted a goal bonus. He was a striker. I said, what do you think we're paying you 50 grand a week for, to miss them? Did he know what he was signing up for? In this part of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is sending out his eyewitness apostles to take out the same message he did—that that Jesus, in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has come near, kingdom of God has come near. And he wants them to be really clear on what he's signing them up for. He's already hinted that they'll face rejection. Um, he's given instructions to them on what to do with homes and towns where their message is not welcomed, shaking the dust off their feet on the way out. And now in today's passage, Jesus wants to be clear about what they're signing up for in the long term, looking ahead in time to very real relational and social and physical persecution that they will face for taking out the good news gospel message about Jesus. Sure, what they're signing up for. And history tells us these things did happen to the apostles, just as Jesus said it was. History tells us this has kept on happening ever since in church history. And the news tells us these things are still happening today. So in Men's Prayer Group, on Tuesday mornings, we've been praying for the situation in Manipur. Just play that video, I think. Um, the report from Open Doors says this. Footage of the aftermath of violence in Manipur, India, has been shared by local Open Doors partners. The devastating violence has seen 70 Christians killed, around 300 churches burned down, Around 100 other Christian buildings, including a theological college, destroyed, and at least 1,000 homes of Christians burned down. More than 10,000 believers are taking refuge in rescue camps set up by the army, and there are reports of many hiding in the forest areas surrounding Manipur. While Christians are not the only people affected, local sources say they have faced 10 times the persecution received by Hindu extremists. So, it's still going on today. And whilst I don't expect we in Australia will face anything quite like that, our own lives tell us that the more upfront we are about being a Christian, the more we attempt to share Jesus, the more we get pushback. So, before I was a pastor at work, and when I get together with non Christian friends, I used to get into conversations where they would. Robustly express disbelief and um, give arguments against Christianity. Well, that's that's not persecution. I quite enjoy that. At least they're engaging. At least they're giving an opportunity for me to speak the gospel. No, no, the much worse reaction that lots of us come across is, um, and I bet you've had it, is, that's nice. You know, I, I, I... I get it a lot when people find out, I'm like, what do you do for them? You're my pastor. And they say, oh, that's nice. And the voice is saying, that's nice. And the face is saying, get me out of here. I don't want to talk to this weirdo. Jesus wants us to have really clear expectations of what difficulties following him and proclaiming him is going to bring. To have really clear expectations of the help he's going to give us in that. And to be really clear that it's all worth it. Because at heart, who wants a hard time, really? I mean, put your hand up if you want to be rejected. No. We all long to be loved and accepted. Nobody wants to be the last person to get picked for the sports team. Nobody wants to be the person kept at arm's length. So if we don't take on board what Jesus has got to say about the opposition that we'll face here, then the danger is we'll default to our natural response, which is to fly under the radar, keep our heads down, keep our faith private and on the quiet so that no one gives us a hard time about it. Our culture is constantly discipling us to believe that we ought to be happy and at ease all the time. So when following Jesus results in us being unhappy in making life more difficult, well, if we don't have Jesus' take on that, will be in danger of staying quiet about him or even of giving up on him. So there's an outline in the leaflets there. I was calling the sermon Great Expectations. Got me thinking of Charles Dickens novels, except for the last bit. I couldn't think of one. Anyway, those are headings, just memory hooks. They're in your leaflet. So first then, we can expect hard times, hard times. And Jesus tells us how to operate in these hard times. Verse 16 I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, I mean, wolves coming after sheep would be a common fear in that society. Even scarier and shocking then is the idea of sending sheep out amongst wolves. We're not going into a passive environment that's either indifferent to Jesus or can be persuaded to be positive. No, Jesus reckons it's treacherous, dangerous. Therefore, verse 16, therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Important organizations and families and cities have crests, don't they? Like a coat of arms. Um, Symbols of strength, usually like a lion or a sword. Manchester, my hometown, has got bees as a symbol of industry. Well, I've cobbled one together here for Christians it's a bit weird, not all that impressive. You know, we've got a sheep surrounded by wolves with a snake and a dove to remind us how to operate in this environment. So shrewd like a snake and innocent like a dove. So we had to be godly, but not gullible. Streetwise, but not sneaky. See, snakes are really good at slithering in to do their thing, then slithering off undetected to avoid trouble. Even when, like this one, this was one found in a house in, on the Gold Coast. They found this skin 14 feet long. and That's the uh, carpet python they found. So like a snake, we don't need to go looking for trouble. It's not wrong to dodge a bullet when you can. In fact, that's a wise thing to do. So we don't have to sit there copping heat Just for the sake of it. And verse 23, Jesus tells his disciples, move on to the next town. The message is too urgent to waste time on those who are currently hostile to it. Leave it for now, maybe not forever, but leave it for now. And let's be clear, lots of what passes for persecution is in fact, people just being annoyed with people being obnoxious in the name of Christ. You know, so when I was 15, and I returned to school from a Christian conference full of zeal, but absolutely no tact whatsoever, telling everyone to turn or burn without any love. It wasn't Christ they found offensive. It was me. But as we grow in maturity in Christ, as we ever deeper understand and appreciate the graces shown us, that'll show up in the way we speak, the way we behave, and that will commend the gospel. We are speaking with our words. But we have to know this we can do everything absolutely perfectly right and still be rejected. So, verse 17 be on your guard. They might love you, but they'll hate Jesus. See there in verse 18. Have a look, it's on his account they will be arrested. And verse 22, because of Jesus, everyone will hate us. Here's how it works. God created a good world, very good humanity, but our sin has corrupted everything. So we find lots that is good in the world, God's common grace to everyone. Love, beauty, art, things that we enjoy. But there is much that is bad as well as sin twists and corrupts those good things. So we can proclaim lots of true, good, godly things, and everyone will still think we're lovely and give us no pushback. We can talk about how God can transform us, give us a sense of purpose, give us peace of mind, find our true selves. That sounds great. Anyone will buy that for a dollar. No one's going to persecute us for saying nice things like that. True things that are nice. But sin means much of what the world thinks is good and is entitled to, Jesus stands against. So people love the fact that Jesus ate with sinners, and people will give us a pat on the back for telling that story. But the fact that Jesus was calling those sinners to repentance, and in doing so, condemning their lifestyles, that's not as popular. And verse 17, notice where it is the disciples are going to be flogged. In synagogues, we shouldn't be surprised when it's those within religion having bought into the world's values who persecute us for insisting on Jesus and his ways. See, when we proclaim the good news that Jesus is the only way to God, that we must put him first before anyone or anything, when we warn that he came this time to save... There's always one in there. <laughs> when we proclaim the good news, Jesus is the only way to God. When we, put him, when we insist we've got to put him first before anything. When we warn that he came that time in the Gospels to save. But next time he comes, he's coming to judge and send people to hell. Then we can expect persecution. See, the good news about Jesus doesn't just sit there unattended. It always does something. It always provokes a reaction. It's a a push forward from the kingdom of heaven that cuts right through to the heart and challenges our prideful self-rule. So it always prompts a reaction. So our gathering as church, obeying Jesus in proclaiming and living out the gospel, will be persecuted for it. We should just expect that. Two Timothy three verse twelve In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted that 's our inspirational pep talk. there we yeah. go so just leave it there no on, yeah. look there 's great power in knowing this up front isn 't there? Jesus is telling his disciples right, this, right at the start. So that we aren't surprised and so tempted to give up, and so that we know it's not us being rejected, it's our King Jesus and his kingdom being rejected. The good news is we can have great expectations for the help available to us to endure. Great expectations. And let me just say, there's much more encouragement in next week's passage as well. I've chunked Matthew quite small chunks this time. Um, There is a lot more encouragement. If you can't wait till next week, keep reading the rest of chapter 10. Great expectations. God will give us everything we need as we face persecution. As much as we can expect persecution, we can expect the resources to deal with it. So verse 19 and 20. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So just have a look at those royal resources of the kingdom of God put at our disposal. Father, Son, and Spirit helping us to speak. There's no sense here in any of what Jesus is saying about persecution that these disciples are going to face, that that's going to stop his message going out. In fact, it's going to serve the gospel going out. Verse 18, On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Opportunities to witness about Jesus. In Acts 4 and 5, This all pans out for Peter and the other apostles, just as Jesus says it will here. And their reaction, Acts 5, verse 40, uh, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So persecution bring in more proclaiming of Jesus, not less. Now, we're not the apostles, but we do have the same Holy Spirit that they had. We do have the same message they had, the same witness now written down for us. Now hang on, this same Peter who was flogged is the same Peter who said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. How do we reconcile that with, do not worry about what to say or how to say it? Well, Jesus doesn't actually say, don't be prepared, does he? He just says, don't worry about it. So I don't think the point is, Jesus' point is not to expect like autolocution, like, we're going to become like ventricle dummies and God is just going to say words through us. The point is that ordinary Christians, like you and me, aren't in it alone when it comes to witnessing about Jesus. God himself is backing up his messengers and making sure we're able to give the message And there are countless testimonies, probably even your own, of people hearing and receiving the gospel and the person sharing it was convinced they'd done a terrible job and nothing was getting through. And yet God spoke through them. If you think about it, God invented birds. A bird with its bird brain can find its way from the Arctic Circle to North Africa every year. It's sort of hardwired into it. So presumably... God could have done that with us. He could have hardwired it humans to know the gospel by instinct. Or maybe put on some annual supernatural event where no one's left in any doubt. But that's not what he's chosen to do. He's chosen us, ordinary bumbling witterers like you and me, to proclaim Jesus. Us. And when our reaction to that is to say, but I'm no evangelist, I'm not eloquent, Or persuasive. I'm going to forget bits. I might get the theology slightly wrong. I'll come across badly. In the face of all those true and reasonable objections. Jesus says. Don't worry about any of that. I'll be with you. This is my plan. And it's going to work. Despite your limitations. And despite all the opposition. So we do our best to be ready. To witness to do our best to persuade and leave the rest up to God to do what only he can do. What we definitely don't do is to let our not being great stop us having a go. Just have a go. So those are the resources available to us. We need this reassurance because of the heartbreaking division that our proclaiming Jesus can bring. It can lead us to a bleak house. That's our next heading, bleak house. Verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Again, Jesus wants us to be really clear on the nature and the impact of the gospel. It is good news of ultimate peace. But it's good news that comes and lands in a war zone with enemies opposed to him. And sometimes Jesus' enemies are going to be in our own households. I've heard accounts in recent years of people being offered fortunes by their families to drop their faith in Jesus or being threatened with cut-off from inheritance, or treated as dead, or even unable to go home because they'll be killed. That's still going on today. It's not happening to me and my family, but all of us face being considered a worse friend, or a worse employee, or a worse family member, because we belong to Jesus. We just have to know, to expect it, and not have that mean we give up on Jesus or stay quiet about him. Look, God invented families. God loves families, highly regards them because they help us see something of his unconditional love. And Jesus spoke out against the Pharisees for neglecting families. Families are important to God. But Jesus' message is so important, so urgent, that we can't let the fact that the gospel will divide families... Stop us delivering the message anyway. Or let that rejection cause us to give up on Jesus. And we shouldn't wait for things to get better. Verse 23. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Jesus doesn't want to sugarcoat it. Be serpent-like in slinking off when you've done as much as you can, but don't expect it to be better in the next town or anywhere else. Yes, there'll be times of revival. Um, Yes, there'll be easier times. We're coming out of a golden era where uh, Christian ideas and values are what this secular society has been built on. But fundamentally, this world is never going to be on God's side. Persecution is par for the course. It's an old familiar story, our last heading. It's an old familiar story. We'll be persecuted because our king was persecuted. Verse 24. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house is being called Beelzebul, that's kind of a derogatory name for Satan, then how much more the members of his household? So if Jesus, the only man who was ever without sin, if Jesus, who is God the Son, gets called Beelzebul, well, we can expect the same. Jesus was the perfect pastor, the perfect teacher, He did countless miracles and good works in, in public for everyone to see, and none of that was good enough to stop him being betrayed, rejected, and persecuted with great hatred. We've just got to know we can do everything right and be treated like we've done everything wrong. And that's okay. It doesn't mean our witnessing about Jesus, our living for him, is failing. It doesn't mean we're failing. In fact, if all of this is too unfamiliar to us, if we aren't copying any heat for being a Christian, given that persecution's is part of the course, well, we need to ask ourselves if we've kept our heads down too much. Again, we should be wise as serpents, innocence as dove. We shouldn't go courting controversy. We shouldn't go looking for trouble. But we shouldn't let the inevitability of trouble keep us quiet. In other words, we can't wait until it gets easy to share Jesus. It's too urgent. We're going to have to take those risks in relationships. So, for example, when we sang carols in the shops at Woodcroft, just chatting to the shopkeepers, the fishmongers loved it. The butcher hated it. (laughs) <laughs> it's part of the course, isn't it? Some of your friends and family, when you invite them to another women's event, they're going to roll their eyes and resent you for it. When we keep being open about our faith in Jesus, some people at work will avoid you or talk behind your back because of that. The community we live in will quite happily keep distracting themselves with sport, TV, wealth, holidays, families, cars, careers, until the day they die, all the while sniggering at our faith and resenting any attempts by us to share it. It's par for the course. This comes to light every time we advertise on Facebook. I do that every so often. Um, And there's an opportunity to send a message. And I always get messages like this. Here we go. Automatic replies. Hi, Peter. Let us know how we can help you. Religion is for deluded people. You are ignorant using the Bible. See what he did there? The Bible as a source of truth. You're doing mankind a great disservice. Thank you, Peter. So I replied, so hopefully you can assess me whether this is being wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. Hi, Peter. Thanks for your message. I get that Facebook isn't where people come to have their minds changed, so I'll leave you to it. If you ever want to know the well-thought-out reasons we trust the Bible and reckon everyone owes it to themselves to check it out, you know where we are. I think I won him over because he replied, (laughs) Deluded! Par for the course. And yet, and yet, none of that opposition or none of that infuriating indifference should stop us. None of it is a sign that we should give up. It's a sign that we're on the right track. Jesus reckons the problem isn't that God has got no one he's calling to himself. Jesus reckons the problem is there aren't enough workers for the harvest. In other words, it can't be true that all the people we know, all the people in the southern suburbs, as much as it might seem so, it can't be true that they're unreachable with the gospel. Some of them, will respond in faith if they hear the good news. And we can't let the fact that we're sheep among wolves stop us in that task. It's too urgent. Where people stand, spend eternity, is at stake. So it's going to cost us. It's going to make our lives harder than they would be if we just kept our heads down and kept saying nice things but it's worth it. Verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Let's pray. Lord God, where we have um, kept our head down too much and stayed quiet too much, uh, please help us to be bold and brave to do our best to commend the gospel to the people we know really well in how we live and in the words we speak. Help us get into those gospel conversations' significance. Help us wear the cost of that making us unpopular and pulling people off. But I pray you'll bring into our lives, each and every one of us, bring us into our lives, the people you want us to witness to, who you call into yourself, and to be able to endure the persecution that comes with getting there. I pray for that man who replied on Facebook. Please soften his heart. Please turn him to you. Please help him seek you out and overcome the deception he's under. Amen.